It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Seattle Sports Talk Podcast. And Vikings, this is for you. Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say? Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Ain't always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. Ain't always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. For life is quite absurd, and death is the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow.
All right. So there's our kind of improved uh, introduction, and uh, I'm joined by my co-host tonight, Chase. And Chase, i got to ask you something, man. Did you enjoy that intro? I did. I did. Unfortunately for the Vikings, there's really not much of a bright side. Uh Uh Their season's over, so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) No, I mean, their season's over, and they... They may not have a starting kicker next quarter, or next, not next quarter, next season. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, 1998 all over again for them, and the poor Vikings. Yep, and let's go ahead and listen on that play that just possibly was Ray Finkel all over again. Here it is, guys. He's got three of them already today, does Blair Walsh, from 22, 43, and 47, but all were going in the other direction. This is a 27-yard field goal attempt from the left hash mark for Blair Walsh trying to give the Vikings the lead. The snap, the kick is up. It's no good! Are you kidding me? It's no good! Oh, baby, it's Christmas in Minnesota, and the Seahawks have dodged a bullet from 26 yards out. Matt Blair misses. Blair Walsh, I beg your pardon, misses the field goal attempt, and Seattle now with 22 seconds left, and the Vikings have no timeouts left. One kneel down, and the Seahawks will move on to Carolina. Holy catfish, do you believe it? So there you go. There's the play of possibly the Seahawks season right there. The Seahawks escape. Possibly one of the most. In- this was Tony Romo all over again. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure no one thought that that goal was going. That field goal was going in, and I'm pretty sure that Steve Rabel wanted to say something other than catfish. <laughs> you, I think you're right. But let me go ahead and say this. I want to go ahead and play something real quick, just to because I want to say this about Daryl Bevel. You chuckle-headed cockle shell. Seriously. I'm going to say this about Daryl Bevel. When you have as much time as you do on the clock, when an opponent has all three timeouts, you don't run the football. You don't play conservative. You play to score. And if I and I will say this, if the Seahawks were to lose today, if they would have lost today, Daryl Bevel, I hope to God, would have been fired right on the spot for being this, the, the idiot that he is. No, I've said this, but you've heard me say this before. Daryl Bevel does not play to win games. He plays not to lose them. And you can't play like that because the Vikings are going to march right down the field. A team like the Vikings or anybody else in the playoffs still is is going to take advantage of your lackadaisical play calling. And it's disgusting to watch. Definitely, and pardon me, real quick, Chase. I got to light up my victory cigar, like I told you, man. You, but I mean, yes, sir, yes, sir. let me just say this again. I really hope Bevel learned something from this, which he possibly didn't. But again, I, I, this was just me, okay? And I'm, I'm going to go say ahead and say this before I light up my cigar, and then I can let you go ahead and comment on it. But again, this is a great example of what can happen. If you don't play to win. Now, if I was Bevel in that situation, yes, the the, the the first run, 
I would have agreed. Go ahead and let them run so that way, you know, they, the clock can tick down. But try a passing play the next time because how about this? Nickel and dime them right there. Just go for an easy pass. That way that, you know, you can actually gain some yardage. Because if you would have made a first down right there, it would not have come down to that. It would have never have come down to that. Because, again, this game right here showed that not only did Daryl Bevel luck the hell out in not being fired at the end of this season, but it, proved, but it proved that the football gods love, love the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and, and Daryl Bevel still might get fired. It all depends on how far we go in the in the uh, in the super or in the playoffs coming up, rather. Because, in my opinion, his job security rests on how well he does. If he learns from the the mistakes that he's made, and, and they are mistakes uh, in play calling, this whole this whole season's just been a a, a play calling mistake it seems, at least the first half. The second half of the season, regular season, he did pretty well. Uh, and, it, and it depends on, like I said, it depends on how, how far he goes. If we make it to the Super Bowl, rest assured, Daryl Bevel will be back next season if he doesn't get a job offer somewhere else, which he might. Uh, we also may lose our defensive coordinator for what it seems like is like fourth time in four straight years, which would suck. But, uh, but it all depends on, on how well we do. And we got a tough matchup against Carolina, man. I'll tell you that. You know, we dominated them earlier this season for three quarters, and we lost one. And we lost it. We we let them come back. That was Daryl Bevel's play calling, again, playing not to lose. And he did that, what is it, six times, I think, this season and ended up losing in the fourth quarter? Yeah, he did. Six times. Yeah. Yeah, six times that, that we've lost a lead in the fourth quarter because Daryl Bevel is playing not to lose. And that's not okay. And if he, if we get a lead in the fourth quarter, I am going to worry the heck. I, I'm just going to worry. I, I did not phrase that properly, but whatever. Um, I'm going to worry because Daryl Bevel is going to think that the Seahawks defense can hold on to it. And quite frankly, they can and they can't. They they've shown that they can, but in the big time in big situations, I I don't know if I if I trust the Seahawks defense late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I I fully agree with you. And looking on Twitter right now, Justin Britt just tweeted, "40 degrees never felt so good." And really, I contributed that to the Seahawks uh, in the way that they played tonight. Because, or the way they played today, because let's face it, I mean, the Seahawks, all all of those Seahawks, none of them are used to playing in that type of weather. And let's face it, not even not even the, 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 the Minnesota Vikings are used to playing in that type of weather. No one's used to playing that, in that type of weather. But I will say this, I, at my job, I work at Just Sports, so I get a lot of sports fans in there. I got a lot of, I got a couple Panthers fans in there saying, you know, hey, we're, you know, you guys are not going to win this week or this upcoming weekend, I'm like, yeah, we are. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. The, the way you played today, and I'm like, and and first of all, I can't say anything to these to the customers because, for one thing, that's the only thing that sucks about the job is I can't dog them out. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. The Seahawks next week, it's going to be a 31. Always right. 31 to 17 Seahawks because here's the thing. They're going to be going into a city 
that is possibly 60 or 50 degrees warmer than Minnesota is right now. And right now, Russell and Russell, you get Russell Wilson in a warm temperature like that, you know, with the way he's been playing. I don't see the Seahawks losing this game, and I don't really. And after the Panthers, no one's beating them. That's just my take and my honest opinion. And here's the thing. This is not coming from a Seattle fan. This is not coming from a biased Seattle fan. This is coming from a guy who is watching football and is telling you which team is going to be the better team next week, and it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks. Well, listen, you know, Cam Newton and, and his crew, his motley crew of, of Panthers out there are not to be trifled with. I mean, they won 15 games, and yeah, the Seahawks, it seems year for the past three years, and, and it's, it's true, I guess, are, are not a team that you want to be messing with. But any team that's in the playoffs, you look at how the Washington, how the Washington Redskins did. You know, they played pretty well in the losing. Look how the, the Green Bay Packers played today. And they basically limped into the playoffs and still put up 34 points on a, on a very good, on a, on a streaking Washington Redskins team. And Carolina's 15-1, and one, and they're, they're a good team. So I'm not going to discount. I'm not going to say it's going to be as much of a blowout as you think it might be. Uh, you know, look at the Seahawks' uh, recent times when they've had a bye. They've come off rested, and we've made it to the Super Bowl, so we've won. So that, there's something to be said for that. And looking at the Charlottes, uh, to your point, looking at Charlotte's weather report for next Sunday, is a high of 50 degrees and a low of 28. So the the low of the 28 is probably going to be at night, and it's a 115, 115 or 105 game. So I imagine it's going to be right around 40, 45 degrees come game time, which is very like Seattle except for the crowd. So we have that working for us. I don't think – I definitely think it was a low-scoring game. This I think the weather had a – significant impact on how the teams played. It looked like it was kind of hard to catch the ball. Uh, I think the weather definitely played into uh, missing uh, Blair Walsh missing that field goal. And, and, and to be out of, of that is a big relief for sure. Yeah, I fully agree with you. But I will say this. the Blair Walsh pulled off his – pulled off uh, – the Ray Finkel today. But I will say this. I really have to say that I feel terrible for him. I feel terrible for him. I feel terrible for the place, uh, for the place guy, you know, the, the place snapper. Because, first of all, all those, all those players on the Vikings team, they feel bad. But how do you think the two guys right now who – we're 22 yards away from putting them, from putting them into the divisional round against Carolina. Just failed, failed every single Viking fan in Minnesota and everywhere. How do you think they feel right now? In my oh, opinion, in my opinion, I truly believe that those two are going to be put on suicide watch because, for one thing, those guys have got to be feeling so. They possibly feel the worst about this loss. And again, I really do feel sorry for them. I don't like seeing, you know, players who want to uh, 
who have the game on their shoulders and have it happen like that. That is a terrible way of happening. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And there's not much more to be said about that, to be honest with you, and, and it sucks, and you just have to try and put it behind you, you know, the same way Russell Wilson did after last year's Super Bowl. You know, and, and now now look, we're two wins away from being back, and the Vikings are not a bad team. Adrian Peterson's still the league's leading rusher. They have a very solid defense that I imagine will stay intact for the most part going into next year. And and so you just got to put it back behind you and, and try and move forward. So look on the bright side. Look on the bright side, Vikings. There's always next year. <laughs> <clears throat> Dang it! Um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta definitely agree with you. That's that song not only was uh, for the Vikings, but it was for those guys as well. I'm, I did not play that uh, clip j- uh, because I wanted to mock them, but I wanted to play it because I know how bad they must be feeling. They've got to be feeling terrible, and just imagine how you think Tony Romo felt back in 2003. I mean, again, this was just like that game. A comes down to a field goal, and by God, the, the the football gods freaking love the Seahawks. Otherwise, Romo would not have botched that snap, and Blair Walsh would have hit that field goal today. Uh, that's all I'm saying. The field goal, the, the football gods love the Seahawks. It certainly appears that way, man, and I am not complaining zero percent. After the whole, you know, Seattle's in this media hole it seems, because we're the only sports, like, we're so far away from everybody else. And now that, you know, we have one team that's finally doing well for ourselves, um, one team that unfortunately isn't the Mariners, um, it, it's nice to see Lady Luck go our way and to get some media attention. That's just that's just my opinion personally. Yeah, I, I, I full-heartedly agree with you, Chase. Um We'll get on the Seahawks a little bit later, but right now, me and Chase, we got to talk about something that happened a couple days ago that has really, it's touched our hearts as Mariner fans. Ken Griffey Jr. becomes the first Seattle Mariner to wear the cap in Cooperstown, got the most votes of any baseball player. Three people. Three people. Yeah, we were just about to, I was just about to say that, Chase. But, again, let's go ahead and look at what he did. The most votes in baseball history in in the Hall of Fame, and the Mariners are retiring his number. But, again, the three people who did not vote for Ken Griffey Jr., I would like to say this to you. Do yourself a favor. Um, put, a nail, uh, put a nail in a wall. Make sure the pointy end is facing outward. And slowly insert, slowly push yourself into that nail because all three of you, by far, are the, the, the stupidest people in the world. I get that there is going to be speculation with every person that is on the ballot. But with Ken Griffey Jr., there should have never been any speculation. This is a man who, in my opinion, is I am considering the greatest baseball player to ever live the game. Let me just say this, okay? Here's the deal. Ken Griffey Jr.'s career was not sidelined by injuries during his time in Cincinnati. 
Baseball would have seen a man hit 800 home runs, no doubt about it. But I will say this. Here's the way that I will um, point out how the Seahawks have never, or uh, not the Seahawks, but how Ken Griffey Jr. never once did steroids. And I think a lot of people will agree with me. As the years went on, Junior got fatter. And first of all, when he was walking down the red carpet the other night at Safeco Field, I mean, if I was there, I didn't, I wouldn't know whether to shake his hand or poke his tummy just to hear him go, "Hoo!" <laughs> that man is fat. I mean, the dude's retired. I can't blame him for putting on a little weight. Now, what? anyway, it's been five years. I will say, Chase. Let me say this: When Junior retired, he was two hundred and fifty pounds. The man is nearly three hundred right now. That man—that is the one reason that you can tell that he never once did steroids. That man got fatter as the years progressed. And for one thing, here's another difference: living the good life, man. Yeah, but here's the here's the thing. Here's another way you can tell uh, Griffey never once did steroids. His head never got bigger. And possibly his wife will, and here's the thing, and possibly his wife will possibly say yes, but his balls never possibly shrunk. Whereas Barry Bonds' head grew, and his testicles possibly shrank, okay? That's something we will never find out. I am. I can be 100% certain in saying that. Oh, I know that, but I'm just saying, but again, I will say this. Junior never once did steroids. Bonds did. And here's the thing. I hope Bonds and Clemens never get into the Hall of Fame because those two guys do not deserve it. Those two guys right now – I will say this. Barry Bonds should not even be in baseball right now. He should be in federal prison for lying under oath, along with Roger Clemens. But, again, we're taking away from Griffey. I I want your take on this, Chase. I mean, there's not much more to say. The dude's a legend. He deserves to be there, and I think – Rightly so, that you know, when you get 99.3% of the votes, then that you should be getting all the praise that he's getting. Uh, the three people aside uh, that didn't vote for him, you know, a really historic moment, and I'm glad to be able to have watched him play uh, in Seattle, in Cincinnati, in my whole life. I've known Grippy basically, and um, my whole Mariners, not Mariners, my whole, like, baseball fandom has, you know, had Griffey in it, and it will be an honor to, to, to watch him go into the Hall of Fame with the Mariners hat, and I sincerely hope that Edgar Martinez is next. Uh, if he doesn't, if Edgar's number doesn't get retired, then I will, by the Mariners anyways, uh, I'll be sad because I think he deserves it, but Things are looking up for Edgar. Uh, I said on Twitter as soon as the the, um, the voting ballots came out, 17% increase from last year, which is the biggest out of anybody else on the ballot right now. So he's got three years left. He's uh, he's got the stats. He's got the award to uh, to back it up. So let's make it 17% for the next three years and get him in in year 10, huh? Definitely. Let's go ahead and take a listen in on a couple Griffey highlights here. Here, of course, is the first of many amazing highlights. 20, 25 years from now, you're going to want to say, I was there when Ken Griffey Jr. made his home debut. So don't 
don't forget that on Monday night. There's a drive into the gap in left center field, a deep left center field, and Henderson's not going to get to it. It's off the base of the wall. And Griffey to second base in his first major league event, a ringing double off the 375 marker, and we have seen that all spring. Welcome to the show, Ken Griffey Jr. And they're going to grab the ball and put it in the dugout for him after the ball game. Look at this. Had a chance to get out of here right at the base of the 375 mark. What a way to break in. Big smile on Ken's face as he pulled into second base. And that just that brings goosebumps to me, Dave. I've seen a few openers in my time, but uh, first at bat, this kid's had a lot of weight on his shoulders. There you go, Ken Griffey Jr. with his first ever Major League hit. And uh, the next clip that we're about to play, let's go ahead and listen in on another first for Jr. There you go, all first for Junior, his first hit as a Mariner and in, the, in, in the majors, and then, of course, his first home run at Safeco Field. But, you know, I think it was uh, very – I think it was actually very great that Griffey got to hit his first ever home run at, at uh, the Kingdom. And here's the thing, Chase. I wrote a post the other day. I don't know if you got to read it or not. But um, I will say this. Uh, as, a, as a kid growing up, I, I – Grew to love baseball at a young age, at the age of four. My grandmother came and sat me down in the in the living room. We watched the Mariners uh, face the Cleveland Indians. They they lost the game, but I had a chance to watch Griffey make some a, a couple of incredible plays, and watch that and watch in my first ever game watching the Mariners, watch him hit a amazing home run with that sweet swing, and automatically I fell in love with baseball, and I think Ken Griffey Jr. In my opinion, out of all the players that that Seattle sports has seen, I think Ken Griffey Jr. is just that one player that will never ever be topped. Russell Wilson, yeah, he's possibly maybe he'll poss- if he continues his career right now, he'll be the second, the second beloved player in, in Seattle sports history. But I mean, right now, you, you can't deny that Ken Griffey Jr. is Seattle sports. You can't deny that Ken Griffey Jr. is Seattle Mariners baseball. You cannot deny that Ken Griffey Jr. saved Seattle Mariners baseball in the city of Seattle. And again, this moment for Mariner fans has been one that we've been waiting for so long. And not only does Jr. get to go into the Hall of Fame in July, but on August 6th, the Mariners are retiring his number, not just for the professional league, but no player in the Mariners organization in the minor leagues as well will ever wear that number again. And it's just and it's just an incredible moment for this team and this team's history and this city. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and Ken Griffey Jr. will be the the people the the name that people look up to in all Seattle sports if it's Thunderbirds, if it's Mariners, if it's uh the Rainiers, if it's the Seahawks, if it's the uh, even the the Sounders, any Seattle-based team is going to have that to to look up to in for the years to come because he personified Seattle. I mean, it was just he personified sports in general. I mean, let's be real here. The dude had a smile on his face 
every time he was on the field, he, you know, he sincerely enjoyed playing his sport like we may, we haven't seen in years that, that we may never see again. Uh, that's really a shame uh, that that sentence came out of my mouth, but it did. And so he, he is Seattle. Just end of story. Yeah, I, I, I full-heartedly agree. And in the post that I was writing, I was, uh, you know, telling of how I got to experience my first game in 1995, and I got to see Griffey hit two home runs. And not only in 95 did I get to enjoy my first ever Seattle Mariners baseball game, I got to enjoy my first ever um, my first ever postseason experience. My dad, he actually pulled me out of uh, elementary. We went to the uh, we went to game uh, three. We went to game four and five, and it it, it was just a magical a magical experience. And I think talking about Ken Griffey Jr., we have to play this clip. There's no doubt about it. This 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 clip defines not only Ken Griffey Jr. but Edgar Martinez's career as well. They would love a base hit into the gap, and they could win it with Junior Speed to stretch. And the 0-1 pitcher on the way to Edgar Martinez. One more on the line down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. Edgar Martinez with a double. I will say this. I, I made... tell you, man. I gotta tell you that has been my ringtone for the longest time. And every time I hear, you know, I just there's tingles down my spine because it's it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Definitely. And and let me say this. Um, I kind of want to clarify something, but Griffey really isn't the first Mariner to go into the Hall of Fame. I mean, Dave Niehaus, he was the voice of the Mariners. So I think. Dave Niehaus really is the the first uh, member of the organization to go into the Hall of Fame. But here's the thing. I may be sitting outside in 30-degree weather, but that's not what I'm getting goosebumps for. I'm getting goosebumps because of that call by Dave Niehaus. And right there, that call right there not only defines Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez, really the pinnacle of their career, that also defines Dave Niehaus' career. But that also def- – that is the – I don't think any play in baseball history – except the final pitch in which the Mariners win their first World Series will ever surpass that call by Dave Nee. I don't even think that will even pass as the greatest play in Mariners history. Uh, you know what? It's going to be tough to beat, but, you know, a World Series, especially uh, the first World Series that the Mariners win, is going to be very magical. Because, A, after it's been it's been 14 years, Going on 15 years now that the Mariners have been haven't been to the playoffs, and B we had a good shot this year, and you know all the hype that's surrounding it. I I mean, if if the Mariners winning the World Series isn't the the greatest play call in Mariners history, uh, up current history anyways, it would be a very close second to that uh, to that because that it it was magical, and. Uh, there's no words. It's it's an indescribable moment, and I I'm just, I'm just at a loss right now. Hey, I, I mean, there's no doubt that you're lost for words. 
And I will say this. I've been to a lot of games at the Kingdom, and I'm possibly going to say this. I possibly have gone to 50 games at the Kingdom, and maybe 40 of those games I've seen Junior hit a home run. In all, the, in all the games that I've seen Ken Griffey Jr. play in a Mariners uniform, I possibly have seen maybe at least maybe 70, between eight, 70 and 80 games. 90% of the time, he's hit a home run. But I will say this. I went to the final game at the Kingdom, and let's go ahead and listen in on Junior as he puts a final curtain call to his Kingdom career. But in a major league game, that was special. Here's the pitch on the winning. Junior swing and a drive deep to right field down the line. There he goes. Goodbye, baseball. He did it. Holy smoke, Ken Griffey Jr. With a three-run homer, Mariners take the lead. Three to two over the Rangers. Number 377 for Junior. And there go the flashbulbs. I will say this, by far, no home run ever dazzled the kingdom more than that one. That was just incredible. The final game at the kingdom, and Ken Griffey Jr. does it. Going into that game that night, everyone was saying, Griffey's got to hit a home run. He's got to do it. He's got to do it one more time. And he does. He did it. And I'm starting to get a little choked up here because just talking about Junior's career like this is just, Unbelievable. I just love talking about Ken Griffey Jr. because this is the man. I want to say this. If I could talk to Ken Griffey Jr. right now, the first thing I would say to him is, Ken, thank you. Thank you for not only being perhaps one of the greatest baseball players ever put on the Mariners uniform, but thank you for making me the sports lover I am, the Mariners fan that I am, the Seattle fan that I am, and a sports and a, and you know uh, an amateur sports writer and a podcaster that I am. I again, I'm trying to hold back my emotions, man, because it, Griffey has meant more to me than possible. I think Griffey has meant a lot to everybody, but he's meant the most to me. He is the reason why I'm here. He is the reason why I'm doing this podcast. He is the reason why I write sports and why I love Seattle sports. And I want to say thank you, Ken. Thank you for everything that you have done in your 22 year in your 22 seasons. Thank you for being one of the greatest baseball players ever live. And I'm hoping to make the trip down to July to watch you get inducted into the Hall of Fame and I will be there every single game and I will be there on August 6th to watch your number be retired as the first Seattle Mariners ball player to get his number retired. Moment of silence, shall we? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I got to ask your take on this, Chase. I mean, I mean, to everything that I've said about you know Griffey hitting his final home run in the kingdom, and what I've, in my thoughts on him, I mean, I want your take on it as well. I mean, you have a say in this just as much as I do. Listen, Ken Griffey Jr. is. 
is a beautiful person. He is a beautiful person, and he has, I've said this before, he's he's the reason, you've said this, he's the reason the Mariners are still in Seattle. He's the reason that I've stayed a fan for as long as I have. Uh, he's he's everything. He's everything to Seattle, and and we won't see another player like him in Seattle. Hope well, I mean, hopefully that hopefully we'll see one soon. Uh, but we we haven't seen someone like that in Seattle in sports in anything in a very long time, and he's. He's beautiful. It's plain and simple. I agree. I mean, th- th- there's nothing else that we can say uh, say about Junior, because again, you know, this man is the reason. Again, is the reason why Seattle Mariners baseball is what it is today. I mean, when the Mariners started off, this team was possibly the most, possibly the laughing stock in baseball. But when Junior came along. He didn't just bring his talents to Seattle. He brought something more than that. He brought the joy of baseball back to the city of Seattle. Sure, there were some losing seasons. I mean, come on. There was, there was nothing. There was a lot of losing seasons for us. But those losing seasons were enjoyed by fans everywhere in Seattle. And not just Mariner fans, but even other teams' fans, they flocked the kingdom. They flocked to other, t- other uh, city stadiums just to get a glimpse of him. And every time they got a glimpse of Ken Griffey Jr., they got a glimpse of a man who brought something way more to this sport than any other player in history. Again, I will say this. I can talk about Hank Aaron. I can talk about Babe Ruth. I can talk about Lou Gehrig, Willie Mays. Those guys were amazing players. Possibly those four were the greatest to ever play. But here's the thing. Junior did stuff that no other player could do. He could field. He could hit. But but that wasn't the main thing that he did. He brought an absolute... He brought an absolute nostalgia and, and, and joy to fans everywhere just to watch him. It didn't matter if you were an Angels fan. It didn't matter if you were a Diamondbacks fan, a Yankee fan. It didn't matter. All that mattered was that you were watching one of the greatest baseball players to ever exist and watch him day in and day out. And Junior was just that. He was baseball. In his 22-year career, even, even, when, he was, um, even when he was at the end, he was still baseball. He was still the man. And no other baseball player, really, in my opinion, except for Mike Trout. I'm going to say this. Mike Trout is the only other player, really, that has kind of a comparison to Ken Griffey Jr. due to the fact that when you talk about baseball, a lot of people want to talk about Mike Trout because he's done stuff that a lot of players haven't done since Junior. But I don't think Mike Mike Trout's got a long way to go before he can actually even be considered in Griffey's shadow. But I will say this, Mike Trout is the best baseball player in baseball right now, but Junior will be remembered for everything that he brought to the game of baseball. Yeah, sorry, hold on. I uh, 
I actually just got a bloody nose out of nowhere, so I'm trying to deal with this right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, man. It must be the cold. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Mike Trout is, is right up there. You can tell that he enjoys playing the game of baseball. He enjoys being out there and and trying his best. And he doesn't ha- quite have the, the panache that Junior did. Uh, but at the same time, he's he's the ideal baseball player, someone who's in it just because they, they're playing a, they're adults playing a kid's sport. That's what it boils down to. And, and to be out there and to be, uh, you know, out there not even working, like, that, that, was, that was my dream, that was your dream, to be out there on the field and, uh, and praised by millions and, and just out there playing baseball because it's so, it's so much fun. And, uh, and that's what Griffey brought to the sport. That's what Mike Trout's bringing to the sport. That's what... Bryce Harper's bringing to the sport, and it's it's nice to see. It is. And uh, talking about a lot of firsts that Junior did, I was there for uh, a lot of historic hits, a lot of historic home runs, but here's a first that brought a lot of joy to Mariner fans. I was here to witness this one. There you go, Junior's first Safeco Field home run. And, you know, I will say this. I think it was because of the organization, uh, the front office, that Junior decided to leave. I want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, we can talk about Griffey's home runs and everything, but let's talk a little bit also in depth of Junior's life. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know this, but Junior actually tried to commit suicide back in 1992, I believe. And um, the reason why is because he, he... he had so much stress going on in his life. He had um, people yelling at him as teammates because of those, uh, the losing seasons. He had his family yelling at him. I don't think a lot of people know that. I mean, behind behind all the, the, the glamour and the glitz and the fame that Junior had, there was a dark moment in his life where we could have never, ever saw Junior play another game after 1992. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that'd be something, wouldn't it? I mean, let's try and picture this. I mean, Junior, I think he said that he consumed over 200 aspirins um, when he tried to commit suicide. And just thinking about that moment and what baseball might have been like if that suicide attempt had been successful. I mean, this. I mean, I know we're trying to keep this as a, as a happy podcast, but I mean, just think about it. I mean, what would baseball have been like without Junior? What would Mariners baseball have been like without Junior? In my right. opinion, I don't think the Mariners would have been here after after 1995 without Junior. If that's if that suicide attempt had to work for Ken Griffey Junior, I, I I just I couldn't see Mariners baseball staying here. No, you're 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 very right, uh, Junior. We've said it. He's the he's the only reason the Mariners are still in Seattle. 
And I wouldn't even want to live in Seattle anymore. We only had, I mean, granted the Seahawks are doing pretty well now, but uh, if we only had the Seahawks uh, as a professional sport after 2008, like uh, I'd move because it's, it's not worth it. No, it's not. And also talking about this, here's the thing. I also mentioned in my post that in 99 when I found out about, or in 2000 when I found out that Junior was getting traded, and here's the thing, it was February 2nd, so in 14 days I would have been turning 10. So when I heard that my idol was leaving Seattle, it broke my heart. It absolutely crushed me as a kid. So what I did, my dad decided to say, hey, write a letter to him. And so I did, and about three weeks later, I, I actually in the letter I was saying, you know, of how... I was angry at him, you know, I was I was upset that he could not stay in Seattle. I was saying that, you know, hey, I I don't think I can, you know, watch baseball or even be a Mariners fan without you. And here's the thing, I I got a letter back about 3 weeks later, and I know it wasn't from Ken Griffey Jr. himself. But as a 9-year-old, I mean just think about or as a 10-year-old at the time, I mean, come on, I I was gullible. But what it said in the letter was, you know, you know, he I get so many letters a day. So I can't answer them all, but, you know, your letter to me is saying that, you know, I mean a lot to you. But what I want you to do is don't give up on Mariners baseball. Don't give up on the team that you love. Keep supporting me everywhere I go. But I'll be, but do not forget the love of the game that you have right now, and do not forget the love of the Seattle Mariners that you have right now. Now, again, I don't think that Junior wrote it. But in some ways, in some ways, even as a 26-year-old or 22-year-old right now, I'll be 26 next month, but even as a 25-year-old, I still think, did, I, did my letter actually get to Junior? Did I actually have an impact, and did he really write that letter? Because, that, come on, nobody could actually write that, really, if they didn't mean it. So in my heart, I mean, Junior, again... Junior, again, kept me a fan of the Seattle Mariners. And that right there was a touching moment for me as a 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't doubt it, man. And I, I sincerely hope that he wrote that letter to you because we wouldn't be here if he didn't. No. But um, there was actually a little other dark side to Griffey, and I will say this. Um, never got to meet him as a kid. But as an adult, I actually asked him for an autograph, and he told me to F off. But here's the thing. He would never say no to a kid. But I think the and, – and even Softy from 950KJR, he said that Griffey was a dick. Now, let me say this. The reason why the man grow, grew to be a little, uh, a little agitated with the media and possibly towards, uh, you know, mature fans is because – when his fame was growing, people were actually, uh, you know, kind of uh, forging his signature and making money. So you can't blame the guy for not wanting to sign something. But with the media, I think he already knew that the media blows stuff out of proportion. And he doesn't like to get interviewed. He, he really never liked to get interviewed for, uh, a lot of the times. But when he did, when he did get the interview, he also brought – you could tell when he was enjoying being interviewed and when he didn't. And whenever he didn't enjoy the interview, he kind of had a scowl on his face. But when he did, he had that smile that just brightened up everybody's day. You could tell right away. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're just kind of beating a dead horse here. The dude's a legend. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm taking a lot from you, Chase, man. I, I mean, here I am talking, talking all everything about Junior. You got, and you haven't really said anything. I mean, I, I want some of your stories about Junior as well, and we'll get back to uh, mine because I'll, I'll continue from this. But I want some of your stories from Junior and what, you know, he did for you. Because again, we we got to thank Junior for this. I mean, this this podcast is not just about uh, the Seahawks right now. This is about also Junior because Junior Junior really again was Seattle Mariners baseball man. Yeah, you know, I I was had the misfortune of being born a little bit later than you. Uh, I was born in '93, so when he got traded, I was seven, and I was just getting into baseball at the time and and watching. So, and I don't really remember much from that day. Uh, from those those days specifically. But what I do remember is I remember Griffey being, what I remember clearly anyways, is Griffey being traded back to Seattle in, it was 2010, right? Um, 20, is that, 2009. 2009, that's right, that's right, that's right. I remember that I was, well, I was 16 then, 16, 17, and I was, still playing baseball at the time and, and I I convinced I begged my mom to take me to Mariners games just to see him play because of the legend that he was and and when we finally you know, when we finally went down to the stadium I watched him play it I was just in awe having him just I don't think he had a home run in any of the games that I went to. But I just to see him out on the field playing and, and to see that swing, you know, I, I posted a tweet a while back of the, his swing. I could literally watch him swing the bat 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it, I would not get bored because it is glorious. And, and to see him in the Mariners uniform, to see him back in his hometown where you know he loves his hometown, uh, you know he loves, still loves Seattle. Um, it, it was nice to see, and I, I actually did, I don't remembering it, I did go to his final game as a Seattle Mariner, and they had the tribute for him, and, and it, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the reasons I'm, I'm still playing baseball. I have, uh, I have a lot of, uh, Ichiro memories for sure, um, simply because I was born a little bit later than you. Uh, then when Ichiro gets in, then we'll have the same conversation. But Junior is is a uh, – he means a lot to, to every single Seattle Mariners fan. Uh, every single Seattle Mariners fan worldwide. Yeah, definitely. And I actually had the pleasure of going to that final game, um, his last and final game. And, and speaking of his final game, let's go ahead and take a listen on Junior's final game and the final call of Junior's career. Here, here. 
So there you go. Ken Griffey Jr.'s last and final hit. Unfortunately, uh, Dave Niehaus didn't call it, but, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't win them all, but let's go ahead and talk about that. I mean, I was actually at that game as well. I mean, I, I, I find it very funny of how I was at the final game at the Kingdom. I was at the first game at Safeco Field. I was at the, fir- I was at the first home run that he ever hit in Safeco Field. I was at the, the last game that he ever hit a home run at Safeco Field. And I went to his final game in a professional uniform and as a Seattle Mariner. But the next day, um, you know, Junior shocked the world by retiring. But it was the way that he retired that was not really correct, uh, that I define as, you know, very correctly. Because here's the thing. um, Junior left with, I think, a little bit of animosity toward the, the, the team. But because he did not t- he didn't tell anybody he didn't tell anybody except Tory Hunter but i think the reason why he had so much animosity towards the team is because of the front office and the uh management of the team of, during that time of Don Wakamatsu and i think he also thought that he could not play the game anymore because i mean let's face it junior in 2010 did not play well and i think that he should have retired in 2009 because the way that he went out in 2009, it was glory. The team carried him on his back in the final game, and I think he should have retired right then and there. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You're you're, you're right. He, you know, and and people are professional any sports. Uh, I'll bring up Brett Favre are prone to playing one or more too many seasons than they should have. Uh, I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's happened before. Um, and, and it's shame because it kind of it kind of puts a, a, a dull spot on their legacy. Um, if, if you can put a dull spot on Junior's legacy, and you know I don't blame him for retiring as as abruptly as he did, because that was 2009 was not a there was a gloomy time for for Mariners baseball. We had a manager or a GM that didn't know what he was doing. We had a coach that, I mean, he coaches the A's now, but look, look what they did, right? Right? Wakamatsu coaches the A's? I think the, so. I, I don't know. I, actually a bench coach. Yeah, I, yeah. But, you know, we had, it was, it was gloomy, and he probably, you're right, had some animosity because he didn't like maybe how he was being treated, how he was being used, how, um, how the whole organization from top to bottom was was functioning, which is what the whole with everybody, which is what everybody in Seattle had been saying. Everybody's Mariners fan, pundit, what had been saying for several years at that point. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And uh, you know, let's. Uh, let, before we actually talk about Junior's career post, or uh, before the, he returned to the Mariners, let's go ahead and listen in on um, kind of a historic moment also with Junior again when he comes back in 2009. First at bat with the Mariners, and here's what he does. Opening day for the bases. 
Ken Griffey Jr., not much of change from it. Dave Messi, a little bit of a stiff back. Catches it off the end. Nice little line drive into right field. Easy for Sedano to get over to third base on that base hit. So there you go. Junior's first hit as a Mariner. And there we go. I love the fact that Dave Niehaus called that one. And, again, he did call Junior's final home run. Um, but, you know, and I was even at that game, too. I was almost at almost every single one of historic Junior's uh, – almost at one of – every single one of Junior's really historic moments as a Mariner. You know, Game 5 of the American League Division Series um, – uh, the American League West clincher in 97, I was there in for the final uh, game in the Kingdom. I was there for the first game at Safeco Field, first Safeco Field home run, last uh, Safeco Field game as a Mariner before he went to the Reds. And then I was even there when he was with the Reds for all three games when he came back as a Cincinnati Red. And I will say this, boy, did Junior deliver in the final game, hitting two home runs. And I will say this. Even though the Reds lost that last game, Raul Abanez actually um, was saying after, in his interview after that game that he was actually upset with the fans, that they were cheering at the fact that Junior hit two home runs. Now, here's the thing. I get that you are upset that your fans are cheering for another guy, but come on, Raul. I mean, this was Griffey. He actually, fans, would, fans cheered for him because he was, he was back in Seattle for the first time as a Red. And to, and and for him to hit two home runs in his in the last game, um, for him to hit two home runs in that final game, and it was number five eighty three and number five eighty four to push him past Mark McGuire, but for him to come out and actually you know kind of hate on the Mariner fans was kind of rude. I mean, why would you say that about the fans? We're happy that a former Mariner just dazzled us with his sweet swing and got to hit a home run. I mean, you guys were leading at the time. I mean, you can't rain on the parade for the Mariner fans during that time. No, no, you definitely can't, uh, you know. And it, it, I'll bring up the Brett Favre example again, is when Brett Favre returned to Green Bay as a member of the, uh, as a member of the, what is it, the, the Vikings. Um, he he got a standing ovation because he's truly a legend amongst peasants. He's a, a, a king amongst peasants, I guess, would be the, the appropriate metaphor. And so, yeah, like, why, why, why hate on him? Because now he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Brett Favre's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Brett Favre is in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, and Griffey's in the Hall of Fame now, too. So there's... It, it was it was senseless for for Raul to be mad at that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've actually been talking for almost an hour now. Yeah. <laughs> this is this yeah. is actually really, this is something that actually doesn't happen. I mean, this is actually yeah. really. And here's the thing: I'm outside right now because I'm airing out because of the cigar, and I'm freezing my butt. I'm freezing my butt off. But you know, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to still talk a little bit of Ken Griffey Jr., and, but uh, we'll also get into the Seahawks post game. But when we come back, talking Griffey, we're, we're going to be talking about his uh, career after the Seattle Mariners and talk about his career you know, uh, as a Red and then as a White Sox and then finally coming back as a Mariner. And we'll, 
and we'll get done with that, and we'll also get on to the Seahawks postgame. So, again, we will take a break, and we will be right back. Thank you. 
And we are back here on uh, Seattle Sports Talk podcast. And first off, uh, I want to say this. I didn't just play that uh, song uh, just for Niehaus, but but in that video, I will say this. The two guys, the two players that are really highlighted, again, is Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr. And this song not only uh, was a tribute to Ed, to Dave Niehaus after he passed away, but this really got Macklemore's career really started, and I find that and I find that that Dave Niehaus and the Seattle Mariners played a part in Macklemore getting to be the big shot that he is right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember listening to that uh, that whole album when it first came out. So I'm, uh, I suppose, a little bit of a uh, of a hipster of sorts. Um, but but yeah, that and I, I I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> but uh, that, that song, that that call, that everything, I it leaves me speechless every time. Yeah, I I think it does leave uh, you know everybody speechless, and it's uh. It's it's just one of those calls that you just can never really get out of your head, and it was uh, uh, it's just it's just one of those plays that you you just never forget, and and for for Macklemore to memorialize that call in his uh, in his uh, in his music video, I mean that was just special. But uh, we are getting back on to Ken Griffey Jr. Again, we, we're, we're going to be getting on to Seahawks post game, but we're talking about Ken Griffey Jr. and his uh, life after the Mariners. And really, Ken Griffey Jr. after the Seattle Mariners, he had one good season with the uh, with the Reds, and he actually had a little trouble with the injuries. He was only able to play 142 games, but I mean, he still was able to play. But after that, um, the the years of playing on that Safeco Field turf. And the and also here's another reason why Junior never did steroids. The fact that he never once stretched or worked out started taking his toll and the hamstring injuries and really, really just just went off on him and uh it sidelined him for basically the entire two thousand and three season and the t- entire two thousand and four season as well. Yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, we've we've talked about this before, you know. And a, a hamstring's a horrible thing to to um, to tear to to do anything bad to because in, in a baseball swing, like it, your whole you use your whole body, you use your legs to generate your power. Uh, same thing in hockey. Same thing in I mean, it's it's awfully important in baseball if you want to hit home runs. Use your entire body, and that's one good. One of the strongest muscles is right there, and for that to be uh, out of commission, then it it, it it's the build the build that I cannot speak. Every single podcast I cannot it, it, something seems to happen. Debilitating is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, I I full heartedly agree. And and let me say this: I want to say this about Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, uh, before he actually did leave for Seattle, but Ken Griffey Jr. is also the only Major League Baseball player to have a candy bar. He's the only player to ever have a candy bar, and he was the first baseball player to ever have um, his own video games. I think I think Ken Griffey Jr. had um, three video games after him. 
And thankfully, since the Mariners, well, I'm not going to say thankfully because here's the thing. I'm not thankful that the Mariners are owned by the Nintendo Corporation, but um, after, you know, Nintendo owning the Mariners, they, they got him his own video games, and I think he was he was part of the Super Nintendo era, he was part of the Game Boy era, he was part of the Nintendo 64 era, but, again, no baseball player in history has ever, ever had a video game that has had their name on it. Junior's the only one to do that. And Ken Griffey Jr. also is the only player, again, to ever have uh, a candy bar named after him. <laughs> Yeah, cops are coming after you. You better, you better hide. You better get back inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Um, it's still airing now because I, I will say this: my grandmother is not too fond of me when I, when I smoke a cigar. So I'm just trying to air out. But, um, yeah, I, I, that's not the cost. I guarantee you that's, that's the fire department. We get a lot of that around here. But, you know. What's your take on the fact that Junior actually, you know, again, had his own candy bar named after him, and, and he's the only player to ever have his name really on a video game? Yeah. Four video games. There's, there's really not much to say about that. Uh, I mean, the, what? <laughs> I suppose. Um, because, no, that, that, that says something that, you know, you're able to – you're such a marketable, you're such a well-recognized face and name and presence that people will buy your candy bar and buy your video game and play it no matter how bad it is <laughs> or good it is, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, the, I mean, just wow, I suppose. That's, that's, what, that's what I got. Yeah, well, also, here's the thing. I don't think a lot of people know this, but, well, I... If if people don't know this already, then something's wrong with them. But Ken Griffey Jr. made a guest appearance on The Simpsons, in which he actually developed a gigantic. <laughs> I mean, he developed gigantism. And here's the thing: Jr. actually did an interview because he had a line in that uh, in that uh, in that episode. Let me go ahead and find the clip real quick. And here's the thing: Jr. said when he actually said that. Um, he had no idea what a what it meant. Uh, he had no idea what it meant, and when he even said, "Oh, here it is, right here," and there was and the and it was on mute. So let me let me go ahead and try this again. <laughs> so here it is again. It's like there's a party in my mouth, and everyone's invited. <laughs> Junior even never knew what it meant. They just told him to say that. And he also had a guest appearance on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air as well. Did he? He did. You didn't know that? I didn't, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch Fresh, Fresh Prince. Uh, surprisingly. Um, oh my God! I'm going to tell Taiwan. I'm going to tell Taiwan Walker on Twitter right now that you that you that you don't watch uh, that you don't watch uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air because yeah, I'm going to call. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna call you out. But um, I will say this though, Junior. Junior was a very valuable, uh, mar- uh, very valuable not only in the market, you know, just not for marketing. And he was he was he was a player that er- that everyone loved to to just watch. And even and he also was in Little Big League as well. Learn something new every day, man. Learn something new every day. 
Yeah. But getting back to him in Cincinnati, um, I will say this. I In 2001, my dad surprised me at the end of the school year with tickets to the Braves games, a three-game a three game series with the, with the Reds. And I will say this. I got to, not only did I get to enjoy um, the – I really got to enjoy Turner Field for the first time. It, 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 first off, that's a beautiful ballpark. Not as beautiful as Safeco Field, but it's a great ballpark. But, um, you know, the Reds – I got to see Junior play as a Cincinnati Red – uh, twice in my lifetime, once uh, against the Braves and once against the Mariners. And I find that very funny. I, I, I find the fact that I was able to make that uh, make that game or make those three-game series, it was, uh, uh, it was really fun. But I will say this, um, in the first game, even during – I was just sitting in my seat and after 30 minutes of watching batting practice because of the humidity of the George of – the, of the Atlanta – city air my uh and here's the thing i was wearing a muscle t-shirt and my muscle t-shirt was drenched in sweat due to the humidity yeah yeah they don't mess around down in atlanta that's uh and you probably i think you know this uh mike is the braves are my second favorite team next to the mariners and i actually i haven't had the chance of viewing turner field yet but i'm hoping to go fairly soon oh that's good um I will say this, um, the Braves, I think, are, are a lot of Mariner fans' uh, second favorite team due to the fact that it was a, a, the Braves in, on TBS era. And I think a yes. lot of people, and thing, when the Mariners were playing, if there was a Braves game on, I was watching it on TBS. Yeah, that, I mean, I have my own story uh, regarding the Braves, but I, I became a Braves fan, and then when I found out the Braves were on TBS, I was watching the crap out of them. And then when there wasn't a Mariners game on, even when there was a Mariners game on, I was flipping back and forth because I love watching the Braves. I've loved Chipper Jones was, you know, he's another one of those guys that will go down as one of the baseball greats. And uh, I was sad to see him retire. I think he retired at the right time. But uh, let's uh, let's go about that. Uh, let's let's talk about that later, though. This isn't about the Braves. <laughs> yeah, but um, during Junior's career, again. Um, 2000, uh, he played 145 games. The next season, he was plagued a little bit with injury, but he played 111 games, finished with 22 home runs. But then 2002 and 2003 and four were the seasons in which he really missed the most games of his career. And he, the hamstring injuries just started piling up. And looking back, you know, Junior was able to hit 22, 20 home runs, playing only 83 games, um, in 2004, and he was actually an all-star, but he was hurt, so he didn't get to play. Um, 53 games in 2003, he hit 13, and then 70 games with the Reds in 2012 or 2002, he hit only eight home runs, um, which was a career low for him. Uh, I'm not going to count the final season with the Mariners because he was not a direct, he was not really a, a daily player, so I'm not going to count the zero home runs that he hit, but. Um, a real achievement for Griffey was back in 2007 where he was an all-star for the final season and he won the Comeback Player of the Year award. And here's the thing, um, coming, back from an 83, coming back from 83 games the previous year in 2005, he played 28 games, hit 35 home runs, 92 RBIs, and he batted 301. And that batting average was the highest batting average he had 
since his MVP season in 1997. Yeah, that's, that's something, you know. That's, uh, that's something. It is. And... <clears throat> Let's go ahead and talk about this. In that all-star game that he played that year, um, I will I will say this. Uh, he threw out Alex Rodriguez up at the plate, but if the National League would have won that game, Griffey would have been the MVP. I, I think he would have been the MVP. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, he's, he's a kid. He's just a kid. And... Uh, I wish he had won more. I mean, ten-time Gold Glover. I don't blank how many times he was the MVP. Um, but he he could have won one more, and he should have. Yeah, he did. And uh, give me one quick second. I got to mute both of us real quick. We got to take a quick mute break uh, due to the fact that I got to move back inside. I don't want any noise to get involved. So uh, give me one quick sec, guys. All right, guys, we're back here. Sorry about that. It took so long, but uh, getting everything back inside the house, and I'm finally all to- toasty warm now for the first time on this podcast. But, um, uh, Chase, getting back onto what we were talking about, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about Junior's career, you know, past the past the Mares and talk about him as a Red. Really, he said a lot. He actually hit most of his historic home runs with the Reds. I mean, he hit his 400th with the Reds. He hit his 500th with the Reds. He hit his 600th as a Red. Um, really, juniors, uh, you know, I was really surprised. I, I it, it kind of upset me that he didn't hit uh, uh, his uh, 400th home run as a Seattle Mayor, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a huge milestone, 400. That, that right there... Um, tells you that the player is on the verge of greatness. There's not the the list is not particularly long of players that have hit 400 uh, 400 home runs, and uh, you know, but he he got his start and he wanted to be traded, um, and it's a shame really, but there's there's not much to be said about it. I don't think. Yeah, I fullheartedly agree with you. And then, uh, surprisingly enough, you know, the year before he got traded to, uh, or the year before he signed with the Mariners, he was traded to the White Sox. And I will say this. I hate the fact that, um, actually, ironically, he hit his first White Sox home run against the Seattle Mariners. I find that funny as hell. But I hate the fact that 
Hawk Harlison had to call several of his home runs because, for one thing, I, I, I can't stand him. That guy right there is possibly the most cynical jackass of any, of any announcer in baseball because, I don't know, Jason, did you ever hear his call on Kyle Seeger's game-tying home run against the White Sox a couple years ago? Nope, did not. Okay, um, this is something that we gotta we gotta listen to because you gotta listen to this because for one thing, I will say this: Hawk Harlison. Again, we'll we'll do a special. Um, we'll do something on uh, broadcasters uh, maybe next week. But I will. Say, here is the call that he made on Kyle Seeger's game time home run. Here's the thing. Here it is. There you go. That just tell that just showed you how much of an ass he is. All he what, did was, was that just silence. He was silence on a game tying home run. That just shows you what an ass he was. I, that's and again, this is why I hate Hawk Harlison. I can't. I never have been able to stand him. He is. I mean, I will say this. Look, I, we're taking a lot from Griffey, but I, I do want to get this out. Hawk Harlison is a cynical jackass who, if things don't go right for his team, he won't even call it. And especially this right here really proved my point. And this was a, and this was a couple of years ago. I think this was back in 2011, actually. I that yeah, that was rude to say the least. Yeah, it it was, and you know, again, I I really hate the fact that Hawk Harlison called a couple of his home runs. But um, I will I will say this. Uh, right after the White Sox again, Griffey comes to Seattle, and the year that he actually came to Seattle, his first year, this the Mariners came very close to making the postseason. I mean, they, they finished with uh, 87 wins, which was the most of any season since 2007. But a losing streak uh, towards the end of September really cost them the wild card. But the Mariners were in contention all season long. I, and I think Ken Griffey Jr. had a thing to do with it. But the way that the Mariners uh, treated Ken Griffey Jr. after the final game uh, was by far incredible. Uh, carrying him off the field on their shoulders. And if I can find the clip real quick, let me go ahead and see if I can. Let's see. I want to see if I can find that clip to Junior's uh, his last at-bat in 2009. Let's see if I can find it. Because, let's see. It does not look like it's here, but... Um, 
I will say this. After he uh, singled up the middle in his last at-bat, a standing ovation for Junior. The Mariners won that game, and then they carried him and Ichiro off the field. And again, I, I truly believe that Junior should have retired right then and then because, again, he went out with a, with a bang right there. Instead of coming in back the next season or the following season, he really should have just retired right there. Yeah, I mean, 39 years old, there's not very many people that get to play baseball for 20 years, 22, 21, 22 years. And uh and maybe he should have, but uh I can't I can't you know what, I can't really disagree with you, but the dude had a legendary career. Uh playing from 19 to age 40 is is really uh an incredible thing. To, to accomplish. Yeah, I agree with you right there. All right, so we are done talking about Ken Griffey Jr. right now. But before we do get to our next break again, both me and Chase, I mean, we said it earlier in the podcast, but we want to take this opportunity to thank Ken Griffey Jr. again one more time. And Ken, I know you're not listening, but I want to say this. Thank you again. Thank you for the first 10 years of your career in Seattle. Thank you for the last two years in Seattle that you put in with this organization. Thank you for 22 years of amazing baseball. Thank you for dazzling millions of fans with with the way that you play baseball. Thank you for 630 home runs that fans witnessed, and thank you. Thank you for playing this great game of baseball, and thank you for everything that you have done to the city of Seattle and to the organization of the Seattle Mariners. Thank you very much, Ken. Uh, uh, Chase, you want to say anything else? No, you just said it all, man. You just said it, uh, everything. (laughs) <laughs> everything man yeah all right so we're going to take another break here when we come back we are going to get on to the pod or the post game for the seahawks and again talk in depth about that and we'll go into the next upcoming divisional game by or for the seahawks and this next song i think everybody would remember our final tribute to ken griffey jr in this pot on this podcast his walk-up song
Here on Seattle Sports Talk podcast, and Chase, I think you know. I think you know that song very well. Again, that was Ken Griffey Jr.'s walk-up song, and funny enough, the cover art um, for uh, uh, Hip Hop Hooray is um, they actually did a they actually did a baseball right under the um, right after the um, under the Naughty by Nature. And I guess that was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I guess that just, that really just blasted uh, Naughty by Nature's career because Junior, he used that song for his entire career after that. And I thought that, and I, and I figured, why not? Just put it right there on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you know, while uh, over the break I was looking at uh, Grippy's stats, and he didn't even win AL Rookie of the Year. In 1989, that award went to Greg Olson of the Baltimore Orioles, their closer. Their, yeah, their closer. Oh, there is a reason that he did not win the Rookie of the Year. Um, that was the year that he actually suffered a wrist injury. And here's the funny thing. Um, I don't think a lot of Mariner fans know this, but the reason why Griffey suffered an injury that season was because he actually slipped in the shower and tweaked his wrist. Or, tw- or tweaked his wrist. That is a very, very lame way to get hurt. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, you never think that would happen. Yeah, yeah. How about them hops, though? Yeah, definitely. All right, so we're getting back onto the Seattle Seahawks and a 10-9 to win again, and... Well, first off, Chase, I think we should play that clip one more time because, I mean, just just in my opinion, this this play has defined, will define the Seahawks season. So let's go ahead and listen to that clip one more time of that event that actually helped the Seahawks win. Oh my goodness! Describe the ending of that game. Whoops! And uh, we actually played the wrong one. We actually played the uh, an interview by Richard Sherman. But let's actually go ahead and take a listen in this. This one is a minute long. He's talking about the. Last play. Let's go ahead and listen in on this. Blessing. You know, it's a battle. You know, sometimes the fo- football guys are with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, sometimes the football guys are with you. You know, sometimes you, you earn the right. Sometimes you, you earn it. The penalties in the game, they, they seem to come at unfortunate times. How much does that keep you guys from getting into your groove? 
you know, we don't try to think about those things. We just keep playing hard. You know, we, we can't control the penalties that are called and what, what whatever happens. We just try to keep playing and keep fighting, and thankfully it worked out. How much different did they look this time compared to about a month ago? They look basically the same. You know, we had a couple mistakes early. You know, we had the botched punt. And, and a couple couple miscues on special teams that gave them field position, and, and they, they were able to get, get some field goals. I would venture to guess that Colts played a factor on that punt. Did Colts play a factor anywhere else in the game? No, really. We were hitting. We were running and hitting. Um, we are just doing what we, what we needed to do. I don't think it played much of a factor. I mean, ball handling, I'm sure, it was tough. And lastly, what does this particular playoff win mean to this team, given the way it was won? I think it means something to the young guys. You know, we're just battle. We're just battle tested. We're 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 battle tested. We've been we've been in hard situations. We've been in impossible situations, and find a way to pull it out. So that's just giving our team more confidence heading into the future. It certainly does, as they head to Carolina next week. Thank you, Richard Dory. We'll get that back to you. There you go, Richard Sherman's interview. And uh, let me say this. Very interesting comments about what Richard Sherman said. He said this game was a blessing. And, Chase, I can't disagree with Richard Sherman right there because, I mean, this game was a blessing. I mean, this is the first time we're actually even hearing an interview of the player on here on the podcast. I mean, it seems kind of different. It's not It's not the uh, the normal interview, that's for sure. Normally they're all uh, up in arms, I, I guess is the phrase I would use. Uh, but they they were definitely humbled by this Vikings team, I feel like, and uh, they should have lost. I'll be frank. They, he, I'm blanking on his name already. Blair Walsh should not have missed that field goal, um, and, and our, our season should be done. And that that's a very humbling thing. And uh, and we gotta we gotta take this and and use our. Um, and, and take this for what it is, and and go forward in the playoffs, and and play better in every aspect of the game. We we were getting beat in every aspect of of the game, even in the fourth quarter. We got incredibly lucky with Russell Wilson's mad scramble and, and throw to Tyler Lockett for thirty five. Uh, we got. Incredibly lucky. Maybe that. Maybe it wasn't. It wasn't as much luck as as that last play. But when Cam rips the ball out of AP's hands, you know that's been a problem that AP's had for his whole career. But it, it, it's a blessing, and we should be thanking whatever football gods exist. Yeah, it is. And speaking of that fumble, let's go ahead and listen to that highlight real quick. And the mute button was on. I forgot I put the mute button on. Damn it. I keep forgetting I put the mute button on. All right, here it is. The fumble recovery by uh, Cam Chancellor. Peterson again in the backfield. Bridgewater under center. Play fake. Bridgewater's looking right. Dumps it off to Peterson in the right flat. Who gets the first down? As K.J. Wright rips the ball out, it's still on the ground. I think the Seahawks may have got it. Richard Sherman says Seattle. It is Seattle's ball at the 40-yard line of Minnesota. The Seahawks defenders are going nuts on the near side. They did signal Seahawks ball, and uh, I think we do have it. Tom Rubin all the way on the far side of the field. Great job by the Seahawks. Cam Chancellor ripping it out, Tom Rubin falling on it, and the Seahawks, the big breaks that they make for themselves, and they get the ball first and ten in Viking territory. So there you go. The Seahawks able to recover that fumble. But I think the real... I will say this, not only was that um, 
that missed field goal, possibly the defining moment of this game. But I want to play a clip that really, I think, just defined this game, defined this moment, and defined the fact that the Seahawks, when faced with adversity, just seem to find ways to make plays. This is the perhaps one of the greatest plays I've ever seen Russell Wilson make. And here it is, the 35-yard completion to Tyler Lockett. Seattle with three receivers to the right. Kristen Michael in the backfield, and Russell drops back into the shotgun on first and ten at the Minnesota 39. Oh, a snap goes far beyond Russell. He slides down, picks it up, on the move, rolls, looks right, down the middle. Tyler Lockett, he's got it in the middle of the field. He gets the block, 25-20, 15-10-5. Nick Ty tackled out at the four-yard line. How in the world did they do that? Russell Wilson, ball snapped over his head, picks it up, scrambles around, finds Lockett in the middle of the field for a pickup of 35 and a first down. And again, I'm just I'm trying to figure something out again. And Chase, you got to answer me this: How in the hell did Russell Wilson do this? I don't think anybody. That was perhaps one of the best plays I have seen that was made from a possible negative yardage to a play that set him up to win the game, basically. Yeah, that was uh, – that's only a play that Russell Wilson will make. The, the, you don't, You won't see that. I don't think anywhere else on any football field ever because he's always looking to make plays. He's always trying to find a way to make the play better. Uh, you know, you see him get sacked, um, almost get sacked, and finds a way to multiple times to muscle the ball um, away for a forward pass. And you see that, and and credit to Tyler Lockett, too, for for running the route and then just, like, and being there. Credit, credit Tyler Lockett for not turning around and, and, and giving up. Um, but but Russell Wilson is just an incredible football player, incredible quarterback. I don't even think uh, Cam Newton makes that play. No. I There's not a doubt in my mind. And here's a play that gave the Seahawks their first touchdown of the game after that 30-yard or 35-yard completion. Curse Baldwin to the right. Kristen Michael in the backfield. Now Curse slides over to the left side. Russell out of the shotgun on second and goal. Half roll right. Dumps off the pass. It's in. Touchdown! Seahawks! Doug Baldwin, the man on fire for the second half of the season, picks on that guy you were just talking about, the youngster Josh Robinson in the near flat. Complete pass for a touchdown. The Seahawks are within three now of the Vikings at 9-6. to six. All right, so there's that one. And here's the highlight that eventually put the Seahawks away for the win. Ball spotted at the 36-yard line. It'll be a 46-yard field goal from the right hash mark with the win at his back. Clint Gresham, the snapper. John Ryan, the putter, is the holder. Snap is good. Spot is down. Kick is away. And the kick is through. 
And the Seahawks at the 8.04 mark of the fourth quarter take their first lead of the game. So there you go. The Seahawks led 10-9, to never looked back. But I will say this, uh, Chase, I'm wondering if Pete Carroll's ever going to learn because there was a time in this game where the Seahawks went for a fourth down conversion where they were in Steve Hauschka's range. And it was a shorter kick. It would have been a shorter kick for Hauschka, but they didn't take it. And, you know, here's the thing. In the Atlanta game a couple years ago, Carroll went for a fourth down conversion to try to get a touchdown, decided not to get the points. That cost him that game. This game was almost the exact same thing. It That one fourth down conversion of not trying to go for the – or not going for the field goal – almost cost the Seahawks a game. Yeah, it, you're right. And if things don't go, and let's say we make that field goal, we're up 13 to, uh, 13 to 9 at that point. Sorry, math is hard. Um, if, if everything goes the same way in the rest of the game, the Seahawks are up 13 to 9, and they're not – throwing, they're not trying to kick a field goal, they're trying to score a touchdown, um, which is a much easier defended play, by the way. And, you know, maybe maybe that's Pete Curl, maybe that's Daryl Bevel saying, who, who knows why we decided to go for it there. We went for it twice on, like, fourth down, where I felt like it was a stupid thing to do. It was, like, fourth and nine once, uh, and that didn't convert either. Um, and then just it it blows my mind that they think that this is a smart idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, here we go. Let's go ahead and listen to that final play of the game one more time. I don't think any Seahawks fans will ever we're gonna get some sleep tonight again. And I will say this: I was almost planning on calling into work and saying I can't go in. I can't come in today. The Haw- the Hawks just gave me heart failure. <laughs> but Again, here is the final play of the game that won it for the Seahawks. He's got three of them already today, does Blair Walsh. 22, 43, and 47, but all were going in the other direction. This is a 27-yard field goal attempt from the left hash mark for Blair Walsh to try to give the Vikings the lead. The snap, the kick is up. I do believe it, and Chase, I don't know what to say. After I was hoping, I always hope for a missed field goal for every single kick that our opponents make, and out of this one, this one really just made my heart stop, and I honestly felt like I was having a heart attack after this because I could not believe of how fortunate the Seahawks were today, and they are heading to – to Carolina to face the 15-1 and 
Carolina Panthers for a chance at their third straight NFC Championship game. Yeah, and uh, and let me tell you a quick story. You know, I mentioned I was at the uh, I mentioned I was at the bar um, for this game, and we're sitting there. I'm with my group of friends, and the 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 one pass that Teddy Bridgewater made that gave them the ball on the 18 yard line. After that happened, I was uh, I was feeling sad. I was I was I was like, that's it. You're not going to miss a field goal from that. And they kept on driving. And I, I had this hope in my heart that they're going to make that after they made this field goal, that we get a good return and and a hail mary again. But uh, 22 seconds left on the clock, no timeouts for the team, whole bar silent. You could hear a pin drop in this whole bar. And then, as soon as we saw it go wide right, it was the loudest I have ever been, I've ever heard. Like, I, I went to a Seahawks playoff game at home, and I'm pretty sure this ball was louder. Um, and I just found myself, like, on the floor crying because I, I could not believe that he missed his field goal. Um, so that was my story. But, but that was, I just can't wait. I can't wait. This is, if this isn't a sign that the Mariners are, the Seahawks, aren't destined for another Super Bowl, then I don't know what is. I I agree with you, man. It, this, this is something that I think no one expected. Nobody thought that, you know, this was going to happen. I, I This was just an amazing game. And, again, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And also, let me go ahead and, 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 and say this. Fred Jackson, in his first ever postseason game, and I thought, and I think it's also, I want to say this. If, if this isn't a sign that the Seahawks are destined to win another Super Bowl, this should also be destined that Fred Jackson, perhaps playing in his final season, this may be his final season, and also in his first ever postseason, could win his first Super Bowl. And I will say this, this is just, again, you know, you cannot write this stuff. You just cannot write any of this stuff. It's unbelievable of how lucky the Seahawks keep getting. Yeah. Yeah, you're 100% right. And uh, I'll look to Tony Romo a couple of years back because this uh, fail Mary to – it it lady luck is on the Seahawks side, for sure. It it is, and and again, you know, let's talk about this. We're we're going to be going into Cal, into Carolina, and I will say, and and first of all, I I I played the clip earlier on the podcast. I don't know if you heard it, but Daryl Bevel, I played a clip of someone calling someone a uh, a chuckle headed cockle shell, and that's a nice way of putting. An insult to Daryl Bevel, especially on a on a on a very professional podcast, because we could say a lot of things about Daryl Bevel. But I will say this: you know, fans—they've been calling for Daryl Bevel's head for years, and people are saying, "Oh, how can you, you know, hate on a guy who's gotten you to, you know, two Super Bowls?" I will say this: it hasn't been Daryl Bevel really that has gotten us to a Super Bowl. 
You, you can't put this all on Daryl Bevel. I mean, let me tell you wow. this. In the defense. Yes, but I will say this. I will say this, and I think a lot of people will agree with me. You can tell when Russell Wilson takes the game into his own hands. You can definitely tell, and I think Russell Wilson has been taking the game into his own hands for the last uh, nine or the last uh, yeah nine weeks now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I we'll see how the season goes. I am on under the the opinion that uh, Daryl Bevel should go, and if we can't find someone to replace him, then he'll have to do. But Daryl Bevel needs to change his play style up, or he needs to go. End of story. I fullheartedly agree, and and I will say this: there's a lot of uh, college head coach uh, positions opening up, and I think that's where Daryl Bevel is best suited, because for one thing, um, the one this one drive that we had where the Seahawks could have scored a touchdown, the bubble screen. The bubble screen that Daryl Bevel called killed the drive. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Yeah. Why did you bring that out? And oh, I was, that was the stupidest play call I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. Um, I will say this actually five times. I'm going to say five times because Daryl Bevel, uh, that one game against the Rams, we uh, couldn't really run the clock out uh, when we had the lead, but um, the five other times that we lost were all Daryl Bevel's fault because he chose to play conservative, not to score, and to actually, you know, run the ball and think, hey, I'm going to run out the clock and we'll be fine. But here's what here's, here's Daryl Bevel fails to realize in all of those losses, including today. The Vikings had timeouts to spare. Yeah, hey, hey, let's play this game real quick. Who said? Let's play. Let's play. Who said this quote? Okay. Hey, coach, can we score more points? Sorry. The the quote is, "Hey, coach, can we score more points?" Marshawn Lynch. There you go. That's that's a that's the uh, mentality of the that Daryl Bevel needs to have. And actually, you you just brought up a fair point right now. Um, before we actually talk about this upcoming game against the Panthers, let's talk about Marshawn Lynch. And first of all, I kind of lost a little bit of respect for Marshawn Lynch this past week because here's the thing. It's not his fault that he tweaked something. It's not his fault that he was ruled out. But I will say this. Thomas Rawls was on the sideline. Thomas Rawls was on the sideline for the Seahawks today. Was Marshawn Lynch on the sideline for the Seahawks? No. I think that what Marshawn Lynch did by not coming with the team was selfish. If you're going to support, if you're going to be on this Seattle Seahawks team, you come and support your team. You don't stay home. Because I will say this again: I lost a little respect for Marshawn Lynch because of what he did. Because again, if I'm Marshawn Lynch, though, I'm getting on a plane to Minnesota and I'm coming and I'm supporting my team, whether or not I, whether or not I have to stand on the sidelines and freeze my ass off. I'm going to support my team. I'm going to be a team player. But Mar- I, again. We don't know the full facts. We don't know if uh, he was told to stay behind by Schneider or Carroll. But if he wasn't, then Marshawn Lynch was downright selfish. 
Well, and you bring up a fair point. There's actually, uh, I was reading before the podcast, Marshawn Lynch ruled himself out. He, after practice on Friday, he went up to Pete Carroll and said, I'm just not feeling it, and and went home. That's that's just really great. Now, if you ask me, Marshawn Lynch doesn't care anymore. To, to, to hear that our to hear that our best running back finally coming back healthy and actually working on coming back went up to Pete Carroll and said, "I'm not feeling it," and went home. That is that's that's truly selfish. That shows you he's not a team player. That's pathetic. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a that's a fair point, and <coughs> hopefully, I mean, hopefully he'll be back because I think we're going to need him against Carolina. Uh, the dude's a great football player, uh, but it's it was kind of rude to not be on the sideline, and I, I sure hope we get Thomas Rawls back uh, for next season. Um, because I think Lynch's time as a uh, NFL player is, if not done, very close. And that's that's just from an age standpoint, from a production standpoint. I mean, this is his first major injury, um, but his numbers weren't really as good. And I, I'm pretty sure you saw the graphic um, uh, during the during the game today. Is we're two and four with Marshawn Lynch this year. And now eight and three without him, uh, and that's in large part thanks to Thomas Rawls. Yeah, I I full heartedly agree with you. Um, I will say this though, um, you know, and and here's the thing, I, I this actually happened the other day too when Junior was finally inducted into the Hall of Fame, but the Space Needle rose the. Uh, 24 flag and people are and here's what got me people actually went on twitter saying oh they're doing the 24 flag because marshall lynch is back and i go and i'm like are you freaking kidding me they're not doing it for marshall lynch they're doing it for junior i don't care if you're i don't care if you're joking or not that's a stupid thing to say why would you raise a flag for just one player who's coming back from an injury they did it for junior and let me ask you a question. Why would Jay Buhner raise a 12-24 flag? He wouldn't. I thought it was for Junior. Yeah, agreed. But, again, you know, getting on to this Carolina game, we're going to be ending the podcast here in a little bit, but, you know, this is what the Seahawks are facing. They're coming into Carolina with Seattle-type weather. You know, the 40-some-odd-degree weather – Perfect weather, minus the fans, and this is and this is the type of temperature that the Seahawks love because they're used to they're used to it. And I will say this: I, I'm I'm not saying this as a as a as a biased Seattle fan. I'm not saying this as a as a uh, as a Seahawks fan who is just going to say, "Oh, we're going to win this game no matter what." I'm saying this as a as a guy who is been paying attention to what the Seahawks have and what the Seahawks are going to do. But coming off a one-week break for the Panthers is not good, in my opinion. And I will say this. I think there have been – 
I, I do not quote me on this. I need to uh, let me let me actually pull this up real quick. Um, let me see. Uh, I want to make sure I get this fully correct. And all righty, so get this. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and see real quick because again, I want to get this exactly. Uh, I, I want to get this right. So, okay. All right. So, in the entire NFL, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six teams to start out fifteen and one. Two of them have been in the Super Bowl, and two of them have only won. That was the nineteen eighty four San Francisco Forty Nine ers and the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears. The 1999-1998 Vikings, 2004 Steelers, and 2011 Packers, and now 2015 Panthers. The other three teams that I just named off of, they lost in the first round. Now, historically, 15-1 Let me ask you, this is actually something that's very interesting. I want, I want to go down this, because I, I looked this up. And this is kind of something to actually talk about a little bit, uh, Chase. I looked at the best, the NFL's best single-season team records in football history. And let's see, there are a total of, let's see, one, two, three, four, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, one, two, three, four, twenty-five teams. Okay, and only two of the teams on this list were perfect. One won the Super Bowl. We all know which team that was. But out of the... Yeah, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. So, 19 teams. The NFL have finished 14-2. and two. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of them have won it. But out of the best records in the NFL... Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Oh, wait a minute, no, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, so 10 teams out of the 25 teams who have started out with the best record in the NFL won the Super Bowl. Now, out of these, out of all these teams, those 10 won the Super Bowl, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 other teams lost the Super Bowl. So, really, in hindsight, teams who have records like this, like the like the Carolina Panthers have, so that's actually now 2016. So I'm going to put it with just 2016. So the 2016s who have started out like this have historically not done well in the postseason. Ten of them have won the Super Bowl. The others have... The other ones that I named off that made it to the Super Bowl lost. Now, first off, the only team that I look on this list that I was thankful that lost was the uh, 2007 New England Patriots, who finished 16-0, and and I was glad that they lost the Super Bowl. But that's not the point. The point is, is that out of the 15-1 teams, only two have made it into the Super Bowl, but the others have lost in the first round, except for the Packers, who lost... Or actually, wait a minute, no, yeah, they actually all, 
The other three have lost in the first round. So historically, 15-1 and teams have not had a good record. And I want your take on this, Chase, because I, I actually did my homework. I wanted to make sure I got this down to, to like, a uh, to, to, to the facts right here. I wanted to make sure I got it down to the facts. Yeah. Um, well, and, and you did a pretty good job at that. But, listen, that may be a stat, but in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. And you're looking at a Carolina Panthers team that I don't think will take the Seahawks for granted, judging by A, how hot the Seahawks have been recently, and B, that the Seahawks almost won. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's definitely a Panthers game that, um, a Panthers team that is, is dangerous. And I think a lot of that information that you threw out is 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 largely um, largely based on the fact that every team that makes them, every team that makes the playoffs is a good team, um, and anything that can happen in the playoffs is not like half the teams in the NFL make the make the playoffs. It's only the top four, ten. Possibly, 12? yeah. 12? Yeah. Top 12. I think. Top 12 teams. Um, Sorry? Yeah, top 12 teams, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, 12 teams. Top 12 teams make a playoff. That's not a, that's not a, uh, a large percentage out of 32. Uh, you have to have a tournament, but you have to have that many people. So any team that has that makes playoffs has the potential to win. Um, you look at prime example is the, the Steelers Bengals games. I think the Bengals should have run away with that, but the Steelers took it to the Bengals. Um, granted AJ McCarron was starting. Um but the and the Bengals were actually able to hang in there too with a quarterback that had never played a uh a playoff game and and Honestly, played really horrible. The the Bengals were able to come back. So, uh, I don't think that having that stat that that player that teams who are as effective teams with that record are ineffective. I don't think that has very much say in in how the the game's actually going to go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I fullheartedly agree with you. And uh, here's an interesting stat for you. Let's. This is this is a fun, very fun, fun stat. I think you're going to enjoy this. Um, in 1998, uh, in these on this list, there were two teams in 1998 that had a 14 and two record, and those teams played in the Super Bowl together. I think that's a. I think that's a. Fun fact, the Atlanta Falcons and the Denver Broncos both finished 14-2 and that season, and the Broncos, of course, beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. That's a, that's an interesting fact. I forgot about that. I didn't even know about that until now. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool. Let's hope the Seahawks make it in at 10-6, uh, at shall we? Yeah, definitely. And And get this, okay? I don't think a lot of people were expecting this. But there was a team in 1999 who, uh, let's see, was, okay, so yeah, 
This team lost in the championship game. They were 14-2, and the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1999. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're going you're gonna to laugh at this. Their first game in the divisional round, they beat the Dolphins 60, 62-7. to Oh, my goodness. No, they didn't. 62-7. And this was a a Dolphins team that had Dan Marino on there. But, I mean, this – but the Jaguars actually in the the championship game lost to the uh, Tennessee Titans, and they lost 33-14. And so, again, you know – but again, you know, the Titans are going to lose to the Rams in the Super Bowl, but that's not the point. But uh, before we actually get done with the podcast, I want to say this, though, I, and I think both me and Chase will say the same thing, but um, I want to say this to the city of Cincinnati and to the players of the Cincinnati Bengals, or actually certain players of the Cincinnati Bengals, and to the fans, all of you should be ashamed of yourself. The players, especially Burfitt, you perhaps showed of what of how much class you really have that hit on Antonio Brown was uncalled for and then Adam Jones going on to Twitter that just shows of how much of a thug you really are by just whining and complaining about that game but the fans all of you should be ashamed of yourself for cheering at the fact that Ben Roethlisberger was hurt then to throw garb then to throw stuff at him and then when the Steelers were leaving the field even keep throwing more trash at them Cincinnati last the last night showed of how much class they really have and i think and last night's game was perhaps one of the most disgusting things i've ever seen ever i mean i mean i the Columbus crew throwing beer at players was disgusting but this was i think this was even worse yeah, uh, it, and it's a shitty way to lose, but when you throw a bad word tantrum, when you throw a tantrum like that on the on the field, and you de- you deserve to lose like that, plain and simple. Yeah, yeah, fullheartedly. And uh, first off, again, before we get out of here, I want to give my predictions, and I'm going to say this, and both me and Chase will give our uh, our full our. Uh, our uh, explanations and both of us will drop our mics. But first off, Chase, I want you to do your drop mic first for this upcoming Seahawks game and what you expect out of this. All right. All right. Bold prediction of the week. I haven't looked at the, the initial spread. I Something tells me Carolina is going to be favored by two and a half. Um, and, you know, I – I don't see it's possible. It's possible, but if the Seahawks don't play better, I I honestly think Carolina's got a better shot at winning this, like twenty to seventeen. Really, twenty to seventeen? Yeah. Wow. I, I I didn't think I didn't think you'd actually say that. You know, the Panthers might have to actually have a shot. But I here's the thing. I think I think this game's going to be different because again, the Seahawks are going to be playing in warmer weather. Basically, they're not going to be playing in that frigid temperatures. But, again, I will say this. The Seahawks, they're a different 
Seahawks from when they first played the Panthers. They are a fully healthy defensive unit. They are a newly defined offensive team. And, again, here's the thing. If Marshawn Lynch plays or if he doesn't, Christian Michael is still going to help us out. Russell Wilson's going to be the man. And I'm going to say this. Cam Newton Superman is going to be turned into Cam Newton Superwoman after the game. Because I'm saying this. I'm sticking with what, I'm, what I predicted. It's going to be a 31-17 Seahawks win. Wow, shots fired. Let's go. Yep, and and here's the thing. This is where I drop my mic. If the Seahawks beat the Panthers after on next Sunday, nobody in the NFL is taking us, and nobody in the NFL is beating us. If we beat the Panthers, we're taking it all. And if I had a mic right now, you will hear it drop right now. I, I can get behind that. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. All righty, so next week, win, lose, win or lose, you know, I want to say this. I'm proud of the Seahawks for what they've done. We got one more week still to fight in our season. We are two We are two wins away from, the, from Super Bowl 50. Let's hope that we can win next week and move on to our third NFC championship. And, again, if win or lose, me and Chase will be here and to talk about – if we win, we are going to talk about the upcoming NFC Championship game and a chance at our third straight Super Bowl. And if we lose, we will just go over on how great the Seahawks were this season and of how proud we are. So this is me and Chase saying, Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.